Entering the Fifth Dimension, episode number 40, Dealing with the Devil. I'll make it brief, Mr. Bedeker. You look like a man with a nose for a bargain, so I'd like to make you a proposition. We each have something the other wants, and that seems a relatively solid basis for a bargain. And what do you have that could possibly interest me? A great many things. Oh, you'd be surprised, Mr. Bedeker. Many things. Varied and delightful. And what do I have that could remotely interest you? Well, what could we call that? We could call it a soul. <laughs> You're the devil. At your service. How about it, Mr. Bettinger? Why not? A partnership of a sort. You deed to me your so-called soul. And in exchange, I give you immortality. There is a podcast beyond that which has been observed by man until now. It is dedicated to the science fiction masterpiece, The Twilight Zone. Within this existence, we examine all things scientific and fiction. We peer through the lens of history, technology, and all things in between to present you with the definitive Twilight Zone podcast. Always with you in mind, because it is submitted for your approval. And welcome to Entering the Fifth Dimension, a fan podcast dedicated to the Twilight Zone. I'm Daryl, and joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, the Beery Man himself, not to be confused with the Blurry Man. That's a completely different Twilight Zone thing. It's Robert. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Daryl. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Great to be talking about the Twilight Zone so close to Halloween. Did I get the pronunciation of your name right this time? You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I went did, off on those and... Barry jokes forever, and then you, you you told me, hey, bro, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> you and, don't know what uh, you're talking about. Right. And then the the, <laughs> the Beery Man and the Blurry Man kind of came to me earlier today, and I'm like, how have I not thought of this before? I got to go with mm-hmm. that tonight. So. Mm-hmm. I might have even said something about that during that episode. Maybe you did. Um, you know, I forget I things. I did, so. but it just yeah. all went over both yeah. both each other's heads. I was probably like in such shame, like my mind was just stuck in that. I, whatever you said after that was just not <laughs> computing. <laughs> it's all right. It's It's been, yeah. I mean, you, you've had your trials and tribulations about your name. And trust me, my last name. At one point, I, I promise you, I had a professor who knew my mom and knew how to say our last name. But even though I never said I identified myself as Bob, he wanted to call me Bob. I, I live with it because <laughs> probably I knew his daughter and she called me Bob from high school. So whatever. Okay. Um, but so now he's saying Bob and then he's trying to say my last name and he goes to Burry. Uh, and I think he knows that's not right. And so the next time he sees me, he says, Burry, Bur- Burley. No, that's, that's not right either. <laughs> and then at another point, I swear, because I turned to about three other classmates. And he said my name, and I said, "Did he just call me Bob Marley?" <laughs> and then I, I promise you, that's what it like devolved to. Uh, but uh, anyway, 
great teacher, just not good with my name. Well, I've been so <laughs> guilty of things like that. So, uh, yeah. man, it is good to be chatting with you. It feels, I don't know why, it feels longer than a month. We always do once a month, so it's about a month between our recording sessions because I would typically we record and then I edit and publish within the next 48 hours. And so I don't hold on to these very long after we record them, but it feels like an eternity since I've chatted with you. Well, it's been a while. We kind of had to back out, man. I, I, I caution people who have ever had any type of claustrophobia to not do what's called a bod pod test. <laughs> it is a body fat test that's the gold standard now, so you don't have to do underwater weighing. And I got into one of those, and I've been having these crazy claustrophobic events mm. lately. And it has been difficult, and I've canceled other podcasts, the thought of doing them. But today I'm running good, so I'm really glad to be doing this too. And and to sort of get that monkey off my back, but I'm not getting one of those machines again. No, <laughs> I don't blame no, you. No, thank you. Well, you mentioned uh, that this is our Halloween episode. I don't think we had a Halloween episode last year. I think I completely no. blanked and after had an afterthought of, oh shoot, we, you know, we should have done. So this year, I remembered, and uh, I think we've got a couple of fun ones this month. Was we're dealing with season one, episode six, escape clause, which I also think is one of your favorite episodes. And season two, it episode is. five, The Howling Man. And I quite enjoyed both of these episodes. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about them. Yeah, it was great. Great. I knew nothing about The Howling Man going in. And, um, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's a werewolf. It's got to be a werewolf. Yeah. And was not a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to get your take on that. That's one that I remember the first time I watched it. So I, most mm -hmm. of these I don't. I don't remember the first time I watched them. And that's an exception of that. So looking forward to chatting about that with you. But before we do that, we have a little news. You, Mr. Bemis, are a reader. A reader of books, magazines, periodicals, newspapers. All right. So, Robert, uh, the Rod Serling... Uh, the Serling Fest it took place in Binghamton, New York, since you and I chatted last. It was mid-October. I was out on vacation in Anaheim at the time going to Disneyland, so I didn't get to watch any of the festivities. Did you get to watch anything or have you picked up anything uh, on the Facebook page since then? Man, Facebook kept telling me it was going on mm -hmm. and I was just too busy yeah. to get to it. I, I, I felt so bad and uh, wife was out of town. And I had the whole weekend, I could have just sat there and vegged out. And, uh, but I just ended up being way too busy. Just yeah. couldn't do it. So, um, I guess, I guess they recorded it and we can go back and still see it, right? A lot of it. Yeah. I don't think all of it got recorded, but there's definitely some of it there on the Facebook page for the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation. Just go over to Facebook, search Rod Serling Memorial Foundation, and then you'll find it there in the history of uh, of their feed. So you can find it really easily. One of the things, and we talked about this in our last episode, one of the things that was going to be started or kicked off, um, no pun intended, at that event is a Kickstarter for a Rod Serling monument that's going to be placed there in Recreation Park in Binghamton, of course, Rod's boyhood hometown. Now, this uh, Kickstarter is active. It has 19 days to go. We're recording this on the 26th. So that's probably just over two weeks to go from the time that you're listening to this. And as of right now, it's not looking good. They have $17,905 pledged. They need 90000 And this is an all or nothing. 
If they don't get all the money, the monument is not going to happen. And so there are a lot of different levels of support ranging from whatever pledge you want to make. And then if you want to get some sort of kickback as you do with Kickstarter, right, you can pledge 25, 50, 75, 225, 250, 275, 325, 350, 425, 475, or even 800. So they have a lot of different options, a lot of different kickbacks. I did. They have one appropriately named the Fifth Dimension Package. (laughs) So (laughs) I felt compelled to do the Fifth Dimension Package, uh, which means my membership to the Rod Serling Foundation was extended by a year. If you're not already a member, it gives you a one-year membership. And it creates a personalized four-inch by eight-inch brick that will be installed in the area surrounding the statue. And we'll get to um, engrave something on that brick. And so if this comes to fruition and the the thing gets made, then that'll be our brick that will be, I'll have it, uh, uh, the podcast will be, will be inscribed on that brick. So we'll be, uh, you know, a, a piece of that for forever so that'd be cool that's excellent cool very good yep so go check that out it is kickstarter.com slash projects slash rod serling monument Uh, we'll have and we have had links to it over on our facebook page which is facebook.com slash groups slash Twilight Zone GSM. You can also, while you're over on the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation Facebook page, they also have links to it over there. Uh, Please help spread the word. Again, just over two weeks remain. They've only uh, got almost $18,000 and they need $90,000. So they are well short of the goal. And I'm quite concerned that this is not going to happen. And it is, you know, it's something in my mind that is long overdue. So let's make this happen. Yeah, I, the, the the idea that it um, has a termination date, um, is that the way all Kickstarter campaigns are? Or they do they or they so. just select that on their own? Or I, I mean, I know you so. can't, yeah, just, just do it forever, I guess. But yeah, I, I'm not um, sure. I, I was looking yeah. at my history. I've only backed one Kickstarter before. I thought I'd backed more mm-hmm. Kickstarters. Either it was under a different account or... Maybe there's some alternative to Kickstarter out there that I funded something because I know I like I funded a, a Pat Flynn's tripod thing mm. and uh, it didn't show up in my history. So either it was a different account or maybe Pat did that on a different platform. I'm not sure. I'm not real familiar with Kickstarter is what I'm getting at. Yeah, so. yeah me neither. Okay, well, that's it for for our news this week. Again, just want to get the word out, and and if you would help get the word out and and help support this, it just seems long overdue. Something that ought to be done, and and we should all be pitching in to to do what we can to uh, to make this commemorative uh, monument there in, in uh, Binghamton. All right, join us on Twitter. I mentioned our Facebook already. I'll give that again here in just a second. But Facebook and Twitter are Twilight Zone GSM. Of course, Facebook is facebook.com slash groups slash Twilight Zone GSM. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the Twilight Zone, whatever you're watching or just things that are, have occurred to you as you're rewatching. We love that. And as we're talking about these episodes each month, we'd love to get your favorite thoughts and moments and memories of these episodes. You can also call in your feedback or send in your feedback at 304-837-2278. The website, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback gets you to our feedback page. All right. 
Robert, let's talk about these episodes. Let's, let's do that. And uh, the, the escape clause is uh, season one, episode six, and uh, it aired November 6th, 1959. Of course, written by our boy Rod Serling. Did you ever say Rod Sterling in your life or have you ever heard people say Rod Sterling? Yeah. I, I did before we did this podcast. I don't know that I ever I read did it. personally. I'm not saying I haven't. I'm just saying I don't recall mm-hmm. specifically. But, I, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm a bit of a Twilight Zone fan and you I have a, a deep love for a specific YouTube channel called Provost Park Pass, and they do mostly Disneyland videos, although they they do other mm-hmm. theme park videos, mostly in Southern California. When Disneyland shut down, they did a lot of, they like moved across country and did a lot of Disney World videos. I love the videos that they create of Provost Park, park Pass, and they did one on the Tower of Terror when they were over in Florida this last year. And all throughout the video, he was saying Rod Sterling, Rod Sterling, Rod Sterling. And I know, I know him and he, he misspeaks from time to time. And I am so guilty of that, but it crossed my threshold for not being able to not say anything. (laughs) And so I may, you know, in retrospect, I should have had a little bit more of a, a, an objective view because I'd never have commented on, I've, I've been watching his videos for like three years. And I've just mm-hmm. been a lurker. And finally, I chime in, and it's to correct him on Rod Sterling. <laughs> and someone else came in and were like, you know, who are you? Why are you, you know? I was that guy who came in, like, swan-dived in just to correct, you know? I was like, hi, oh, I was that guy. I didn't mean yeah. to be that guy. I really love you. I have, a, I have a relationship with you. You just don't have a relationship with me. <laughs> and there I am swooping in to correct you. And, and you know, that's the way it is um, on online relationships. And so, uh, uh, no, I don't know that I ever have, but mm-hmm. I've definitely heard it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the only place I've heard people say that. It's 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 so funny that you describe it that way, because back in the old fringe podcast days, when I would hear something that either you or Clint would say that I disagreed with or I just knew was wrong. Uh-huh. I never chimed in, never yeah, made yeah. comments, anything. But, man, I talked to you on my dog walks. <laughs> I'm like, you're not right. No, this is whatever. Right. You know, yeah. but 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 I still even then I was like, oh, but I. I love listening to you guys, so I'm not mad at you. It just happens. It's right. okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think as an online content creator, I get it. I just uh, didn't I just didn't think it through to see how my comment would be perceived by the fan like the fandom came to 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 defend him. And I've been the recipient of the fandom defending <laughs> you before. Like I totally got it, right? I was just wow. I didn't think it through before I left my comment. Because to me, I'm like, I know these guys. I love their videos. I watch them every week, been watching them for years. I'll just leave this comment mm-hmm. and just didn't think it through. So it's kind of oh funny. man. Yeah. Good times. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh okay. So anyway, back to Rod. Right. And Serling. Uh, directed by Mitchell Leeson, um, starring David Wayne as Walter Bedecker, Thomas Gomez as Mr. Cadwaller, quite Cadwallader, yeah. uh, Virginia Christine as Ethel Bedecker, Dick Wilson as Jack, Joe Flynn as Steve, Wendell Holmes as Bedecker's lawyer, and Raymond Bailey as Bedecker's doctor. Yeah, so uh, a couple of other projects some of these folks have been in. The director, Mitchell Leeson, he also directed three other episodes of The Twilight Zone 
and or excuse me, two, three total, but two others. One is people are like all over super episode and 16 millimeter shrine 16 millimeter shrine is not only a fantastic episode but it features ida lupino and then this is really fun for me i love the 1960s batman you know i was born in 1976 right so it was it's before my time but i just love love the 1960s batman and david wayne our, our walter bedeker here he played mad hatter on that era of batman which is which is really cool for me. I remember as a kid having an impression of the Mad Hatter, mm-hmm. um, but the it did not um, last with me as did the iconic ones of the Penguin and the Joker and right. you know Catwoman. Right. Those that that crew. But uh, yeah, no, that's really neat. Well, yeah. We'll do a little episode recappy. All right. Walter Bettiger is a mean man who treats his wife and everyone around him cruelly. His propensity for attention-getting hypochondria is a scam in which he even believes in it so much it gives him license to mistreat his wife and doctor. After waxing, eh, rather whining philosophical about man's short existence in this world, the devil pays him a visit and they strike a deal for his soul in exchange for immortality. Problem is, though, the devil may be evil, but he's also a good judge of someone with rotten character. And Walter continues his scamming ways to con insurance companies out of their money by nearly dying all over town. But he's bored now and takes the rap for his wife's accidental falling off their building to her death. He thinks the electric chair will be fun to try, so he lets himself be convicted, but sentenced to life in prison. So to get out of being in prison for 10,000 years, he lets the devil use his escape clause, which kills him immediately and the devil gets his soul in the end. <laughs> All right. Good. Let's talk about this one. What I'm about to say might horrify the average person. You're a shallow, talkative, empty-headed ne'er-do-well. And to remain silent would destroy you. All right. Well, I mentioned uh, Disney world and disneyland already we made a trip to disney world back in june we visited disneyland earlier this month now disneyland uh the tower of terror is no more it's now the guardians of the galaxy mission breakout it's a fantastic ride i I love it over in disney world on the florida side of things they do still have the tower of terror uh, in the, the the hollywood studios park so i remember my very first visit to Hollywood Studios, I've only been there twice now. Like I've been there. My first visit was like five years ago or four years ago. And then I went last June, the June of this year. That was the only two times I've been to this park. And I was at uh, a conference, a podcasting conference in Orlando. And there's a friend of mine uh, that I know through podcasting. His, uh, his podcast is called WDW Radio. And his name is Lou, Man, uh, Lou Mangello. And so Lou and I are chatting, and I, I'm telling him that I'm going to go on my first Disney. I think that was my first experience in any Disney park. I had never gone to Disneyland at that point either. So he's telling me, you know, all the things I need to look for. And, you know, we're talking about Twilight Zone. I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. And, and he's like, well, when you get off the ride, you know, I'm not going to tell you. You'll, you'll find it. I'm sure you'll find it. But there's, there's, a, there's an Easter egg right there when you get off the ride. And there are Easter eggs for Twilight Zone all over 
the ride and I didn't find it. So I messaged him later and I'm like, I'm not sure what you were talking about. I, I didn't see specifically what you were talking about. And he says, it's really hard to spot. And but if as you get out and to this day, I've never seen it. I forgot to look for it this time. OK, forgot to look for it because I was with my son. The girls didn't want to ride it. And I was I was really letting him like point things out to me. I wanted to see what all. He, so my mind that day was how many things can Colby find and then I'll fill in. And I forgot about this one. But as you get off the ride, my understanding is it's it's kind of right by the door and it's some sort of sign that talks about. Uh, it being inspected, maybe the electrical inspection, I'm not sure, but it, the inspector is Mr. Catawalter. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, or, or, I, I, did, I mean, it's a mistake you did, Cadwalder. It's such a hard name to say, isn't it? it it's is, got extra it word, syllables in there, Cadwalder. And so that is the Easter egg on the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror that ties into this episode. So this episode is one of those that can be found in the Tower of Terror. If you have a good enough eye, which apparently I don't. Well, that's still pretty cool, all in all. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that it had all these other little things that are, I guess it makes sense that there would be various things from the show within there yep. that you can, you know, pick out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the fun things. Not necessarily during the ride, but in the lobby of the hotel while you're in the queue. There's a library. There's a lot of things in there. And then when you get off the ride... Um, there are a couple of, you know, your your cart, your car, whatever you want to call it that you're in, uh, come, comes to rest. And there are some rooms that are flanking you while you're still in the in the ride car itself, which is mm -hmm. where the sign is. So you're only there like you you got to catch it faster. It's gone. Wow. And then as you exit the ride and kind of walk through the hallway and exit through the gift shop, uh, as you're walking through there on your way to the gift shop, there's, again, right. tons of things. There's a photo where they've taken your photo, and as you're examining your photo, there's some more props around. So there's props mostly before and after the ride. Some of them, like the ones that that are visible there, right before you disembark from the cart, you got to be fast or you're going to miss them because you're just not – they don't keep you there very long. They want to get you off and get their cart, you know, back in action. So it's hard to find that one. Gotcha. Cool. Yep. Cool. Well, talking about the episode itself, I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Why does Ethel put up with this guy? Is it is it a different time and era where women were just, they just took crap like this from men? Does she have a mommy complex where she maybe she got in, got in with this guy because she wanted to take care of this guy because or did he become a hypochondriac after they were married because i can't imagine a woman falling in love and marrying a guy like this unless she's got a mommy complex these don't matter these are just things i'm asking myself as i'm watching this episode going what's with this lady why does she put up with this guy like he's such a loser and he treats her so like trash mm -hmm. why does she i don't know what's your take well i, I I don't know when this word truly came out, came about. I would say early 2000s, maybe it mm -hmm. was used frequently. But the the term codependency, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, really applies here mm, where they, they, they feed off of each other. Um, she feeds his neurosis, mm -hmm. really, um, yep. with this obsession of, you know, he needs all this attention. And at the same time, I mean, he is he is psychosomatically making himself feel certain ways. Right. Um, 
I think uh, when he said, why, why does my back hurt? And that, my back hurt, you know, when he tells the doctor he doesn't believe in his diagnosis that he's okay. And, of course, I'm looking. I was like, because you lay around all the time. That's why your back hurts. <laughs> Definitely. And your body gets sore if <laughs> right. you don't get up and move. Yep. And uh, I, get, I get in trouble sometimes for saying something like that to people because the, um, certain folks will talk about always being cold at work or other places. And I'll say, well, if you just get up and move, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Because <laughs> I'm at a job where a lot of times I would just be moving constantly. And people just look at me like, what do you mean I'm not moving? I was like, oh, whatever. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's just it's just one of those weird things where people, she she just is a very sympathetic person. Yeah. And she can't. Um, you know, if we analyze it enough, she probably can't stand to see anybody, no matter how ridiculous, complain about being uncomfortable. And she wants to try to take care of him. And she knows that he is exaggerating. You know, she continues to tell him he's not that sick and he needs to get out and whatever else. But and but then the, the worst part of it is how does she take his abuse? You know, all the verbal abuse that he does. Yeah. And all the hand and foot waiting that she does on him, it does not cause him to be a sympathetic character like, oh, poor me, you know, and this this type of thing. And thank you so much if, you know, for taking care of me. You're such an angel for doing this. You know, he just lashes out and continues to lash out at her. Yeah. And so he not only needs attention, but he wants to dominate people. And so he is a horrible, despicable wretched man <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what i would say that's spot on and it's been said that whatever you are however you are when you have little money is only amplified when you have more money and the more money you get the more amplified it becomes your your character is because some people say well if i had money i would be different but i don't and that's not true I'm not saying it's absolutely true. Well, there are probably some exceptions that have been made, but generally it's it's true. Whatever you are, if you're a stingy, spiteful, greedy person when you have no money, you'll be more so when you do have money. And I we see that here, not in the not in the same sense of money, but in the sense of uh mortality, where he the type of person and the way he treats people when he is sick is only amplified when he now has that power. And that, that, that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And that's what we see on display here. Once he, you know, I, have, I, I wonder, and I love your, your take on this, does the devil take his soul upon death? Or does the devil take his soul upon signing of the contract? Do we see him treating these people to the extreme that he does after the contract, because as I just illustrated, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it's just amplified, mm -hmm. and that's all there is to it. Or is it that the devil took his soul at the point of the contract, and a soulless man is going to treat people that way? I mean, it almost seems like he had no soul to begin with, but the way he's treating people, as you were saying. But it's a little bit of a semantic there, I think. And so um, it's really interesting to see, though, how he is just a despicable human being, and even more so after he gets this immortality. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to say. I think it's a matter of semantics. Um, 
I mean, he he is already if you if you believe that bad, evil people will go to hell and pay for their sins, he has already damned himself by being such an evil, wretched person. Mm-hmm. Um, if you believe that type of thing happens. So the devil coming in and offering him this, you know, like I said, he he's a good judge of rotten character. And he sort of just locks the deal with this guy. Um, you know, really, I think the devil's going to get him anyway. But he's able to lock the deal now by having him sign this contract. Mm-hmm. And in the in the um, you know process of it, I think what we think of as a devil on earth is he is elated and joyful and seeing the misery of others. Um, and that's where he eventually gets this guy to be miserable. And that's and not that he wasn't already miserable, you know, <laughs> when he complained about being sick all the time. It's just a whole nother type of misery. And, and there are other people caught in his wake. So, I mean, there you go, man. I mean, that's, that's a very evil thing to do. The devil really didn't have to do this, but he took more people along with him. You know, he made these companies pay money. His wife accidentally falls off the roof, which, by the way, I didn't think that's what the way I saw it the first time. I thought he pushed her uh, the first time I saw yeah. it. And then when I saw it again, I was like, wait a minute. He's just he's just rolling with this. And but I guess my question back to you, though, I don't think he thought that he was going to get killed in the electric chair. Do you think that if he thought that, then he was going to be set free? Um, right. Or would he just be stuck in jail? Because that's like, ooh, you kind of didn't read all that right. It's interesting. Like, if he's being sentenced to the electric chair, I think he thought he's being sentenced. He's going to be sentenced to the electric chair. They're going to punish him with the electric chair. He's going to survive. And he's going to say, look, I got my punishment. You have to set me free. Right. Uh, I think that's probably what he thought was going to happen. Although the way that he gave up at the end and and didn't spend any amount of time uh, trying to figure out how can I get myself out of this situation? He, he had eternity to do so. He wasn't even willing to give it a day. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> it was, anticlimactic, you know? It's just it was like, very, yeah. really, bro? You're just giving up yeah. just like that? Like, But yeah, at I, the same time, it seems like once he had his immortality, his zeal for life was gone. It's like he didn't didn't mm-hmm. matter anymore. Life didn't matter. It had lost all flavor, if you will. And this right. is a theme that Rod will use over and over. I think specifically of a, uh, an episode called A Nice Place to Visit, which is also a season one episode where this gangster dies and all of a sudden he's getting everything he wants and, it, and he thinks he's gone to heaven and he's winning at the casinos and he's getting all the girls and it's just everything's perfect. And then he realizes this isn't fun. There's no chance of losing. There's no risk. There's nothing that it's just good. It's like getting ice cream every meal. Pretty soon you get sick of ice cream and there's ice cream has lost its appeal. And then he realizes I'm not in heaven. I'm in the mm-hmm. other place, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so this is a, this is a theme that Rod will hit on in a variety of ways. There's a few other episodes I could mention, but this idea of be careful what you wish for. If you get you know, ice cream, I think is a pretty good example, at least for me, I love ice cream. But if all you ever got was ice cream, 
ice cream has lost all of its appeal. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. No. It, yeah. He he says that much to his wife that uh, you know even at least when I was sick, um, there was the chance of death. And there was a little bit of a thrill to it. And so how how telling is that for that sort of codependent relationship that mm. he, um, you know, did enjoy it? He sees now, at least retrospectively, that he enjoyed this this way that he um, went through life being such a sad sack. Yeah, I think for lack of a, a better term. And, you know, I think the two points, but one one being, uh, you know, we, we already covered the the poor wife. And what she went through. But do we, and we'll say a little bit more about this in Whipples later, but don't we kind of enjoy how miserable he is to everyone and how bad he is to them? Because he does it with sort of a witty exchange and a sort of a smart, elecky, not even a retort so much, but he just blows through these people. Um, his wife and the doctor and everybody else. Did you enjoy that at all? No, I didn't. No. Yeah, I, I think I think he's despicable. Yeah, but I think he he was a character, you know, much like an antihero or whatever else who we, we were still compelled to watch. For sure. And so so maybe there was an enjoyment so much, but it was almost like the train wreck <laughs> that you couldn't turn your eyes away from. Yeah. You know, maybe it, something like that. There is, in terms of it being an antihero, even though I didn't find anything, you know, redeeming in, in him, yeah. there is still something when he does die, like I said, it's anticlimactic, and it's like, what a waste, yeah. right? What a waste right. of a life, what a waste of an opportunity. You do feel... Let down, even though right. he's not someone. And I right. think that you feel let down because it's a waste of a life. And mm. uh, there was so much more opportunity there had he focused on other things. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of um, the character that Glenn Close played, not Glenn Close, Meryl Streep played in the, the fashion movie. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, um, Anne Hathaway. Prada, the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, she she was such a kind of mean, despicable, rude person. Mm-hmm. Yet there was a movie being made about her and people watched it. Yeah. You know, so is it, and this will, again, more more about Whipples, but is it that we have to see these people as kind of like the opposite or the reflection where we see our own character judged as we're challenged by these people. And is that why they're necessary in stories, you know, or again, we develop them. But I, I hate to admit, I kind of like the guy. I mean, he's, he's brutal yeah. in the, in the things that he says to people, but it, to me, it's kind of funny. I mean, I chuckled a little bit just because he was so mean. I didn't want these people to be hurt by that. Yeah. So I was able to distance myself enough from it to know this is just a story and 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 so I, I was okay with it. I think if it had been more realistic, I would have been, you know, a lot more of a um, a downer about the whole thing. No, I, I but, definitely chuckled at a few times. I mean, the thing that instantly comes to mind is when he's collecting checks and he's done with the one. He's like, "Okay, be gone. I'm done with you now." You know, I I found that to be very like. I definitely yeah. laughed out loud at that. I thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was never. I, I think the way that he reeled off all the things about the doctor and this is not me being negative about doctors at all but you know there are people out there who think this 
who oh, yeah. think, you know, what good are you after four years of pre-med and four years of this and two years of that? Yeah. And all you can do is tell me something I don't want to hear. Yeah. You know, I mean, just you know, that, that, that's a real person. There's no question. <laughs> there are people who we, don't we mind dressing something. you down and telling you what for. And there are people who are hypochondriacs and the doctors yeah. are just at their wits in with these people, you know. There are people, these these are definitely relatable characters. The, mm. the wife who is taking the verbal abuse and just serving him for whatever reason. There, you know, right. you mentioned the codependency. Codependency, my theory was that she kind of had a mommy complex, and it could be both of those things or neither of those things or a mixture of those things or something else entirely. But you look at all these characters, and it's they're definitely identifiable characters in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the yeah. devil himself, like he's making the deal, you know, and he's just like completely repeatedly downplaying the importance or the value of the man's soul. Like it's nothing mm-hmm. important. And, you know, we all know that shady person who's just like, you know, look over here at this hand, not over here. This isn't important. Correct. This is what's important. You know, and so Correct. every character was really, you know, relatable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I you know I think uh, uh our 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 man Bediger just doesn't care about the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so far removed from caring about anybody else. He truly doesn't care about himself um in that respect and he, all he wants to know is what he can get out of this deal. Right. And uh so he's, you know, he's willing to you know take take part of it all. So what else in this uh, episode anything else for you? Yeah, the um, I got a real feel with all of his attempts at killing himself that this was a lot like Groundhog Day. Mm, I like that. It didn't occur to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if you, you know, oh my gosh, I know, I know Groundhog Day so well. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many times where Bill Murray's character is rude to people in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it's all about him. It's all he cares about. He doesn't want to be doing this, whatever it is. And then when he, um, it isn't when he eventually realizes he can repeat the day because he does go off and do things and steal money and whatever else. But when he finally realizes that he can't stand what he's doing and reliving this day, then he tries to keep killing himself. He has all these versions of trying to kill himself. It even gets to a point where it's a little sad um, yeah. to get you to be, tiny, you know, a little bit sympathetic with the character. So as watching this, I was like, wow, I can easily see this being sort of a template, yeah. if you will, for uh, Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day. Yeah, I like that. I love it. That is about all I got, though. Okay. You got a moral for this one? What did I say? I think yours is better than mine. Um, lying and scamming others will only hurt the liar in the end. I like that. Yeah. I got Fool's Rush In. Simple, sweet. It's a movie. It's a song. It's a, it's a fact of life. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what we get here. Do you see and, yourself and, in and by story? saying that? Well, and by saying that, you mean that he rushed into the contract. Yeah. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, maybe I'm the doctor. Yeah. That's, that's about it. When he goes through and and checks through all the different things that he's been able to find Mm -hmm. and then eventually tells him the straight poop 
yeah. which is, you know, this is in your head. It's psychosomatic and blah, blah, blah. And not that I am a doctor, but I, I have to give sort of like that evaluation of what I see in people sometimes, not just that specific thing, but I have to, sometimes I have to just tell people straight what exactly is is happening and, you know, in terms of what I can see, whether I'm coaching or doing something in, in the health and fitness field. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it'd be like a doctor, maybe. Yeah. For me, I don't know. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say the lawyer just by, you know, he was the guy that was like, you make no sense to me. I don't get you. You're the weirdest <laughs> client I've ever had. <laughs> Why aren't you taking the deal? That's good. You know, That's so. good. I like it. I yeah. thought we could get it to be done. Yeah, you're the guy that actually ends up uh, being sort of the hero of the story almost because <laughs> you arranged it. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yep. All right. Well, for ratings, uh, I gave this one eight potato pancakes. What about you? I think those are called latkes, right? I have no idea. <laughs> I think they are. I'm think, not that culture. It's, it's, like it's like a Jewish um, delicacy or something like that, the potato pancake. Okay. Um, now, there could be a true pancake, I guess, made from potatoes. But uh, I gave it nine inspirational Groundhog Day plots. Oh, I, I like that. Uh, IMDb has 3,639 ratings, and they average out to 7.3. So we're both well above the average. Come on, IMDb ratings, raiders, raiders, step it up. That's right. We are above average. (laughs) That's right. Well, wait a minute. That's one of your lines. (laughs) What's happened? Uh, Okay. Let's, uh, I think it's time for some And now to the stunning and exciting news, which I believe you'll agree shows once again that at Whipples, we only take forward steps. So I already hinted at this a little bit, but a lot of questions here. Why, not just as a society culture, you and you and me, nerd, nerd culture and this kind of stuff, but why as a world do we tell stories that have evil characters? Is it to give us heroes? Are they cautionary tales? Are we vicariously enjoying this because we come that close to death with these evil characters? Um, and, and and why do we enjoy sort of these antiheroes and villains and the pain they cause others as long as they're witty and they eventually get punished? They get their just rewards. Mm-hmm. So what do, what do you think about all that kind of stuff? I mean, there there are volumes of people who have analyzed this. And and that's good. We'll let them analyze that. <laughs> but for me and you, what do we think? Gosh, I think it goes back to the history of the world. I mean, uh, I know we have differing religious points of view on some things, and this may be one of them. But, it, you know, if you take the Bible for its creation story and the fall of man, uh, we're here we are talking about the devil in these series of episodes this month. And the devil's role in the fall of man and the subsequent consequences of that, his own fall from heaven and this good versus evil, it is the story of humanity from the very beginning of humanity, right? And so these stories help in some way uh, tell that story of good versus evil. And I think all of us recognize good and evil. And I think we all have a desire for, at some point, good to triumph over evil. And yeah. whether we're reading The Lord of the Rings or 
watching the Twilight Zone, you know, I think that we have that innate desire within us for good to triumph over evil. That doesn't say that we also don't enjoy a good story when evil gets the upper hand and, and takes the W mm-hmm. from time to time, right? But I think it's just, it's it's the story of our lives and, and, when I, and all of humanity. Right, right. I mean, you know, there, there's so many sort of pop philosophy little quotes, you know, that I think we could throw out with this. And whether it's um, the Scottish uh, philosopher Hume, who I think said life is British and sh- Brutus. I can't talk. Life is Brutish. British. <laughs> yeah, life is British. Life is British and short. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did I just sound like uh, groggy or whatever the one of the characters from I don't know. Harry you Bar? said Hume and my, my mind immediately went to Desmond David Hume from the TV show Lost because that's the philosopher he's named after in that show. So, but <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I think Hume said it was brutish and short. And, and within that is just recognizing that there is a struggle that, that occurs. Yeah. And, and within the struggle, you know, as, as humans process um, events, there's always sort of like the, the one side of a story and another side of a story. And, and what are you struggling against? You're not struggling just in free air and floating. Right. You know, when it's just you, there's actually other things that involve it. And I think as, world cultures um, uh, have shown everybody tends to have bad guys and and they've they've created their way of dealing with bad guys and within Christianity you know we have our bad guy and we put a lot of blame on Judas and we you know and and we have the whatever we have with that but then uh, you know uh, Native American cultures kind of have their they, they love to use the coyote as kind of their bad guy and that it's the mischievous, deceptive um, animal that you think may be helping you, but you know, you never can really judge it accurately. And it's kind of like their devil character. And, and I I stumbled upon something uh, that I was reading for another project that I'm doing, but it's called the Ashgate Encyclopedia of Literary and Cinematic Monsters. And it's written by Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock. And it is fantastic. I've only done like a preview of a few hundred pages of it that they put on Amazon and was able to read through. But the the multiple cultures um, that have looked at vampires and have looked at, you know, various uh, monsters that come from an animal origin mm-hmm. and, and all these types of things. But they all have their root that goes back to this idea of evil and struggle and, and, uh, and I mean, it's just pervasive everywhere. Right. So it's, it's really a, a provocative you know, question and an idea, I think. And, uh, but, you know, you talk about the, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian tradition and me as a, a preacher's kid. Uh, I mean, after watching and being terrified by the movie, The Omen, yeah, and then eventually, and then eventually, yeah, yeah, eventually seeing the the sequels that came back, and and you know, so spoiler alert for your folks, but whatever the last one was, um, uh, you see like a super giant Jesus show up, bursting through. I think it's a church battling with Damien. Okay, and he's I guess able I've seen to. That or don't remember that. <laughs> oh yeah, he's able to defeat 
Damien, who is you think now is all powerful mm-hmm. um, because he's the adult Damien Thorne, and okay, and he has his risen risen to power and okay. all these things. So it's not just the scary little kid with six 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 carved in the back of his head. Yeah. It's it's this other. I think maybe there may have only been two, uh, maybe three. I can't remember for sure. But um, so as a kid, I see that, and you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid, and all of a sudden, there's my superhero. So I'm like, you know, as you act out battles and things, I'm like pretending to be Jesus fighting the devil. <laughs> and and I've always have this scene in my head of me yeah. being super Jesus, this wow. giant, you know, version of not not the big butter Jesus that there's a song about. Do you know that song? <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> oh, you have to look up at some point. Big buttered Jesus. Okay. Someone made like a 50 foot tall buttered Jesus. Oh, my God. Uh, statue. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And then some comedian wrote a song about it. Might be just local here in Kentucky, but that sounds uh, fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so here I am as a kid, but that's just the way that I dealt with my fear, yeah, of this this movie and the devil and and trying to process it in some way. So anyway, I think you know, uh, the Twilight Zone has a place because you can say that the Twilight Zone is a sort of a representation of evil in the way that it hurts people. Um. So it, it can go on and on and on about it, but mm-hmm. great to be talking about a show that does those things and you can sort of get those feelings out, those thoughts. And again, I think it's about uh, a mirror and a reflection about the human souls and how we interact in the world. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Definitely with you. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, if that's any uh, precursor to what we have in uh, an even more uh, Satan-focused episode with season two, episode five, no. The Howling Man. This is going to be good. Um, this one aired November 4th, 1960, written by Charles Beaumont, directed by Douglas Hayes. There's a name we've we've called out a few times. Uh, starring H.M. Wynant as David Ellington, John Carradine as Brother Jerome, Robin Hughes as The Howling Man, and Frederick... Letterber as Brother Christophorus, Christophorus, uh, can't remember how they pronounced it in the show, uh, and Azel Poole as the housekeeper. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't remember how they said that either. I would imagine it's Christophorus, but. Yeah, I would think um, since me if they pronounced it Christophorus, which doesn't sound right either, so. Could yeah. have been. I, I think they're just confused and they were thinking about Chris Christopherson. <laughs> we'll just anyway. call him Brother Chris. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> Did you want to say anything more about those characters, those nope, actors? That's it. Go, okay. Go for your review there. In a bizarre tale, a man of reason and passion falls for the devil's tricks. The Twilight Zone pushes the idea of hell on earth to its limits when the unsuspecting David Ellington is convinced those around him are crazy religious zealots and their captive must be set free. Horribly. He is wrong, and the captive really is the devil, and now this man must live with the reality. No one will believe him, and the devil will keep causing chaos and havoc on earth. To the blind men and women of reason, and no faith, who ignore him. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's chat about this one. It's it's an interesting episode. Like I said, I remember the first time I, I watched it, and... As you said earlier, it's like, oh, it really is the devil. That's unexpected. 
Right. I mean, it's unexpected in a in a few ways. I mean, you kind of expect that the, the, the guy is being duped. These do seem like a kind of some religious zealots and uh, and all of that. But then the, the Twilight Zone would would take this story of the devil. We just talked about it a little bit. Obviously, not everyone uh, agrees with the Bible. Even Christians among themselves have some debate on uh, which pieces of it are allegory versus not allegory. Or And uh, I understand the 60s were a different time than they are today, but still, I watched this and I'm like, wow, he just straight up said there's the devil, and he's the reason for all the bad stuff happening on earth. I didn't expect that. You know what I mean? That was kind of my, mm-hmm. my initial reaction to it. What about you? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, you had to just really say to yourself, like, man, they're going there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This 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 ought to be interesting. Um, what what's going to happen? Well, I mean, you know, I, I was like, um, still because I hadn't seen the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like Ellington. The whole time thinking, I mean, there's going to be some kind of twist. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, this guy might be bad person, but I never thought he was truly a devil. I just didn't. I, I thought it was more. I did really think it was more that the the zealots, uh, Christophorus or whatever we're going to call him, <laughs> um, were the ones who really were the evil ones. And this guy was just um, different somehow. And that was going to be the moral of the story. And we shouldn't imprison those who are different from us. And I mean, that could have been a Twilight Zone story. But no, they really went, went right on with it. So I wish I wish there would have been more um, conversation and temptation with the devil to with Ellington and the devil to see him actively deceive him more. Um, but it kind of was done the way that it was done, I think, because, you know, like I said, I think Ellington is this man of reason and compassion, and he sees someone prisoned, and he is not even going to remotely think um, that these really odd, weird-looking people right. um, are correct. So, there you go. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of that. And there was a there, there's a short story version of this that was written first, and then that was converted or adapted to the story that we got here in this episode. And there are a few differences in it, but I, it's a really interesting point that you make about that temptation process that's there. He's re- trying to reason with Ellington, but I think it falls short of temptation, which is what you would expect out of a Satan figure. There is a little bit of that as he releases him, where he's like, this is the only thing holding you in? Yes. Well, why don't you remove it yourself? Let's not talk about that. Just move it, you know? Yeah. And there, there Pay is, no attention and, to the man behind the curtain. Right. And there, that is the moment where you kind of go, whoa. Right. There might be some truth. Of course, it's, it all happens in rapid succession after that, though. So there's not, right. not much time to dwell on that, that, that statement. But in the short story, there are a couple of differences here that, that are kind of interesting. Uh, one is it wasn't the staff of truth that was holding him in. It was a cross. I don't know how big the cross was, but it was a cross. And they changed that to a staff of truth to be a little bit less offensive to certain members of the audience who might not like the sign of the cross for, for a variety of reasons, right? And so, Interesting. Yeah, I think that was a good move. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that move, actually. The Staff of Truth fits as a crossbar. I'm not sure how the cross would have fit if, if the, the 
you know, the side beams would have, I don't know. But to me, it just seems to make more sense to have a staff of truth across there keeping him in physically. So, but the other difference is in the, in the short story, the devil doesn't reveal himself. Ellington leaves thinking that he has freed an innocent man. Now, there's more uh, information given as to the location of this in the short story. And in fact, it's in Germany. It's where it's located, where I think the, the episode just says somewhere in, in Eastern Europe or somewhere in Central Europe or something like that. Right. Um, and in, in the story, it actually happens in Germany. And what happens is uh, I read a couple of different versions of this, and I think I understand it. And it, well, here's how I understood it. What happens is, uh, Ellington recognizes the man that he set free and he realizes he is the devil. And he realizes that because that man turns into the embodiment of Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. It's either that or he sees him alongside Adolf Hitler. Like he, he is one of the Third Reich high-ranking officials beside Hitler. Either way, he's right. a high-ranking member of the Third Reich, and Ellington sees him, and he realizes at that point he has set the devil free. And, you know, that's a whole—the Twilight Zone does a lot of different episodes about uh, Nazis and the evils that they, um, that they did— this episode is not one of those, but it, at least not in the TV version, in the short story version, it is another uh, story of the evils of of, uh, of the Nazis. And so I thought that was an interesting take. I don't know why they changed that, if it was just for the sake of they didn't have time to tell that version, or that would have required more sets and more costumes and more things that would have added to the expense. Could be a variety of things. I don't know. But I kind of like the way they did it here, whether he's, he's walking through the pillars, he's changing more and more and, you know, revealing himself. And then, poof, he, you know, I really like that. I'm not saying I don't like the other version of it. I'm just saying I like what they did here. It worked for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with you 100%. Don't really have a, a comment to go with that, but I agree with you. That's for sure. Yeah, I just keep keep going back to... Uh, it's it's a, going back to this, but it's also almost skipping ahead. You know, where do you see yourself? And mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I have been around at least one or two people who have been patients who have been ill and misunderstood their illness um, as being something that was making what they said to me um, inaccurate. And as so actually what was happening, I'm not sure if I've expressed that correctly, but what was actually happening is they were 100 percent correct about what they were what they were saying. It's just that their illness made it very difficult to understand the the process and the steps and how they said what they said. And, And as we got to know these people later, we just realized we just have to filter out all the the weird, uncomfortable um, parts about their what how they present their information because he was always expressing the truth and he was always 100% accurate about what he said. Mm-hmm. These guys in their robes and long hair and long, you know, long beards and whatever else just look so odd. Yep. And, you know, what would I do if I stumbled upon them, you know, today and and they told me all these things? You know, would I believe that Um, after seeing this episode, (laughs) if if I had this episode in my back pocket, 
um, I think I would just arrange to contact the authorities yeah. um, uh, to let them sort it out. But at the same time, you kind of have to think, it's like, gosh, am I helping set, you know, someone really evil free? So I guess that's where it keeps going to me um, in the in, in the overall story. Um, so anyway. yeah, I'll jump ahead with you there because I've got myself here. Where do I see myself in the story? I've pegged myself pretty squarely as Ellington, and it's because he when he first encounters the prisoner and the prisoner tells him his version of the story. Ellington, it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. That can't be true. And then he goes and he talks to Jerome. And Jerome, once he tells him the actual story, he's like, uh, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me. That can't be true. And we, I've, I'm, that's me. Like I, I think to some degree, that's all of us. You hear something and you don't know which part to believe. And boy, if that isn't true in our society today with the people being uh, so divided and only getting information from one side and, you know, confirmation bias and all these other things that we've talked about a lot in this show, we're all guilty of that to some level. But discovering truth is harder today in our society than ever before, in, in my estimation. But that's what we see here in this story is he's trying to distill the truth and it's hard to come by and the truth is so unbelievable that it it's you know he can't believe it until it's obvious and it's too late and mm. you know I, I just think that that's been me on more than one occasion yeah well at least now we know who to blame for the the lack of truth and all the the misconceptions is Zucker, Zuckerberg. <laughs> you ain't wrong. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe not all of it, thing. but it's certainly can, a large portion. I, of I can it. I can still remember when Bradley and I were doing that politics podcast, and at one point he said something like, uh, "You don't think uh, well, Mark Zuckerberg is actually has your best interests at heart?" and and, you know, you went on and on a little bit about Zuckerberg and how it's going to be difficult to, to believe what Facebook puts out. Yeah. And I remember at the time I was kind of reactionary. I wanted to, like, cut him to cut him off. And go like, oh, man, don't say that about Facebook. We don't know that about Facebook. Yeah. You know, we, we can't say that they're doing things evil you know, on, on purpose, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, idiot. Of course they are. <laughs> I tell you, when I, mean, I, I knew it myself with the algorithms, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. One voice that I have found interesting as of late is someone that I, I don't often agree with, and which has been why it's been kind of refreshing to get his take on things. And that's Russell Brand. He's got a YouTube channel where he, he's just taking factual reports and stories uh, and really. Mm -hmm trying in his I, 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 he seems genuine to me trying to be an honest discerner of what is actually happening or things that were maybe believed to be untrue or conspiracy or reported one way and now the truth has come out and he's reporting on that and he's really just it's refreshing to me because it seems like he's just trying to report facts. That's what the news mm -hmm. was when we were kids. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so far away from that nowadays. And he's, he often will say, I'm not trying to give you my opinion here. I don't have an opinion that I'm sharing here. I'm just trying to share these facts. And, uh, you know, like I said, he's a guy that I don't agree with probably 
uh, much on the political spectrum, but I I can re- appreciate and respect his approach to delivering information and having a sense and a desire to seek truth enough to be able to put agenda uh, aside, or talking points of a party aside, and just report on things that are, are happening in the world. And that, to my point, what I'm getting at here is truth is really hard to find. Yeah. And, right, uh, right. and uh, so it's, that's what we see here in this episode is this guy who just doesn't know what to believe because yeah. the two options both seem a little bit hard to swallow. Yeah. Sorry yeah. for that little <laughs> no, no, detour there, it's, you know. No, no, it's good because that I, I felt the same way about him. I was very surprised at seeing him interviewed a couple times when he spoke very honestly. I mean, he is, um, you know, someone who blew his shot with, uh, what's her name? The uh, singer, the California girl singer, um, Katie. Oh, my gosh. I'm so oh, old. yeah, yeah. What is her name? Um, I kissed a girl. Yeah, yeah. That uh, one. Yeah. What is, I don't, that yeah. one. Yeah. W- whatever her name is. Um, <laughs> It'll think, come to me yeah. in a minute. Katie is yeah. right. Katie Perry. Katie Perry is her name. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. I was going to call her Kathy. <laughs> you know, Kathy Perry. <laughs> anyway, I, but and I think he, you know, just sounded like a, you know, a crazy idiot. In the way that that story came out, and and I think it was even partially he didn't deny any of it, but then I think he had drug and alcohol issues back then, and and he's kind of sobered himself up, and he's talked about his childhood and how difficult this, that, and the other was, and and I've heard him a couple times try to do what you've talked about, and yeah, it's it's difficult not to respect the the line of reasoning that he uses sometimes. Yeah. Um you just gotta get away from the long hair and the the whatever you know of this guy in the past mm-hmm. because now he really seems to be representing himself. And you know it's it's you know again society, you know, we we like these redemption stories of people and we try to give people a second chance and want to hear from them and if they really truly make sense you want to hear it but yeah in this particular episode wow man it's <laughs> just really difficult and i just i saw again i saw your rating and i was um going back through the episode and just wanted to sort of see it again and just this the <laughs> when he's holding the thing up in the air my truth staff you know that's what keeps him. It just cracked me up. Yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't help but like look at it. Like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. But it worked. It worked. <laughs> I did think that. I mean, look, maybe it's me. <laughs> okay, but if yeah. I had somehow captured Satan himself <laughs> and had him in a room, I think I know where you're going with this. I would not send some random prisoner within proximity of that. A random uh, visitor to proximity of that prisoner. Uh, I, I would not let Kristoff go to sleep. Uh, like, bro, you're going to watch him, and you're not allowed to go to sleep. This is an all night watch for you. This is serious. We got to you. You you take no risks, and they, they they leave themselves vulnerable in at least three occasions throughout. They're they're idiots, or they're naive, or I don't know. 
And there was a bunch of them. You know, we see several of them when when Ellington first comes in. There's a good half yeah. dozen of them or more. Yeah. Like why he was ever even allowed in proximity of the prisoner, and then it happens multiple times. I don't know. These guys got kind of they're guilty of what of him escaping as much as Ellington is. <laughs> Your name is Christophorus. It should be Doofus, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I I think symbolically, I I don't know if they intended this or not, but I think it it's it, it can be seen as the truth being so fragile and and the fact that it can be manipulated by whatever means mm -hmm. because it, it just it, it you know it's powerful enough to subdue the devil but it's not powerful enough to subdue um reason i don't know it's it's, it's, it's it has so, so many i think amazing kind of uh, questions that could be asked about this particular episode of, you know, what what's more important, you know, rationalizing, you know, a situation or faith. Yeah, and, and the symbolism and here is where do you go? Yeah, the symbolism is, is really good in this. In this, you know, like the image in Satan and the truth. I mean, the Bible refers to the Satan as the father of lies. Mm -hmm. uh, he, from the very first. So we talked about the the fall of man a moment ago. You know, he's always taking what God says and just changing it just a little bit. You know, to to make it more deceitful or or to make you have doubts. But the idea that he couldn't even grasp the truth to move it like he he it, he's not able to engage the truth. You know the the the, the symbol mm. of the staff. I like you know, that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Whereas Ellington has no e has no trouble putting the truth aside or manipulating the truth. Or beautiful, you know, beautiful the, image putting it aside. Right. It's it's really I love it. It's a, it's a great uh, little piece that they did there. And I don't know if that's the way I took it. I just thought it was really really good. And then the, the other thing. The staff of truth that Ellington has in his apartment is like this little tiny little thing. It's not like the th like how did he get that? Where did it come from? Did Jerome give him his truth? Like did he break it and he took a piece of Jerome's? Like did he craft his own? And I just I I, I, I you are the staff of truth. Like I don't know. There's like, the, there, there's a little known German oak that you evidently can you know send away on a catalog. For. <laughs> I love it. That, that comes across on an ocean steamer. Uh, and if you plant it, you know, and in many years it will grow and you can, you know, have that German oak truth. <laughs> that piece was bizarre to me. And and uh, I don't know if there's symbolism in the size of his staff of truth versus Jerome's. And I'm not, that was not a, a euphemism at all. I'm, not saying, I'm just saying uh, uh, if there was any type of like spiritual symbolism or Fall of, fall of man, or I don't know, like, well, yeah. if there's anything there with the sizes of their staffs. Um, but it was weird to me that he's got this little bitty staff compared to Jerome's that he's captured the devil with. Like, where did he get it? How, how did it become bestowed with the attributes to be qualified as the, right. the staff of truth? And I don't know. It was all bizarre. It made no sense to me. I think I think there also could have been a well somewhere, a natural, you know, water source. Where the the brothers, you know, made him drink from a bowl 
And they said, now you are like me. Um, <laughs> a, la, a la lost. Nice. <laughs> just two lost And then he was able to, yeah. you know, pick up the staff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I had something else I was going to say that I flashed on the lost. No, I, I think it, I, was, I was thinking of space balls. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, see, I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? he, he was not up to having the, the Schwartz the same size as the, yeah. the brothers. You'd have the tiny, the tiny, tiny the, stick. Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. Ellington was circumcised and Jerome was not. <laughs> Are we really? See, I said this wasn't a euphemism. I didn't mean it as euphemism, but yet I've, I've, I've gone there. Anyway. I think you've hit it out of the park. I, uh, I think you've hit it out of the park. It's good stuff. I did like the camera angles, which are called Dutch angles, where you come in and they're, you know, askew. And the, the mm. use of those and the way they would kind of correct themselves and then go back askew to me that's just going that's kind of the battle going back and forth we have with this episode is this true is this not true and there's that struggle going Mm -hmm. back and forth i really liked that i liked the lighting and all that and i liked the 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 storytelling method where you you start out where he's talking directly he's breaking the fourth wall talking directly into the camera right you think he's talking to you he's talking to the maid we get that revealed in the in the, the the final scene there um it's all really good. Really love the way that they framed this. They shot it. The lighting. The like I said, I already like I mentioned already the way that the Satan is revealed more and more as he goes behind each pillar. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really cool episode for me. I like it for a lot of reasons. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 thrilled that we got to got to talk about it, and we you had this uh, uh, idea to put these things in with the Halloween episode. Yeah, and um, good stuff. I like it. You got a moral? Um, <laughs> no, I just sort of joked about it. Um, well, well, let's see. That's my episode rating. Where's my moral? Uh, oh, yeah. Metaphorical evil is found on Earth, and it must be given serious attempts to stop it. I mean, I don't know. I like it. Yeah, definitely. I've got evil is deceptive and unable to be contained. Yep. yep. All right. Rating. There's where I had it. I gave it nine Twilight Zone canon hashtags of don't leave the devil to be watched by your housekeeper and only contained by a tiny truth stick. That was the other thing, right? I mean, why Ellington ever left her alone with the howling man is beyond me. But we just talked about how stupid Jerome and the boys were. He was just as stupid with the housekeeper. Completely. <laughs> Maybe even more. Like, there was no one there. <laughs> to, like, it wasn't that someone went, fell asleep. Like, he just left her completely alone. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's 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 really almost like this is how easy it is for evil to get back out. Yeah. And and over overcome the truth of the situation because truth is so fragile mm. and we we think that it is you know it's kind of like let's say you're going to trial and you know what you're being asked to present is the truth and you know the other person is lying i mean we know this does happen yep. in trials yep. but they got a really good set of lawyers you know you may not have the best lawyers but the truth is not what is important in that situation. Right. What is important is how you argue your point mm-hmm. and and try to basically represent the truth and or subvert the truth. Yep. And uh, wow, I'm, I'm getting really negative. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> this this yeah. whole thing is just so <laughs> tough. <laughs> anyway, 
Okay, so you had it as a nine. I have it as an eight point five. Tiny staffs of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, IMDb right there with us. Three thousand two hundred fifty-one ratings for oh. an average of eight point four. So we're pretty close to that. Pretty good. You rating. know, what I would love to see is the comparison of an adult Sunday school class um, watching this episode and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And the comparison would be then of a youth Sunday school class watching it and talking about it and hearing the the various perspectives that come through on uh, both of them. I think that would be really neat. That would be interesting. All right. Anyway. You got any whippa for us? No, I don't. It, it was really what we had talked about in the in the last one. Yeah, the, the it, themes in these are really uh, similar uh, in a lot of ways. There are a couple of other episodes that deal with the devil that we'll talk about at some point. We, we still have one other Burgess Meredith episode lingering out there that we have yet to discussed that's a season four hour long episode called printer's devil which is quite good um and that one has a satan figure and there are for a few others also so we may you know we may circle back around to this topic uh, next halloween or we may do uh maybe we'll visit ghosts or goblins or i don't know something else who's to say there's a few twilight zone episodes that could make their way on our agenda a year from now. But this was fun. I'm glad we we uh, thought to do this this month to kind of explore some of these devil-themed episodes. I agree with you wholeheartedly, sir. And I, and I hope, I guess we didn't get any uh, feedback this time. We did and not. I hope that some folks out there might uh, be inspired to shoot us over a little uh, little audio or some some written comments. And we'd definitely love to hear from you guys. Yeah, we sure would. The way to do that, the feedback page on our website, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. The voice feedback number is 304-837-2278. That goes straight to voicemail. Of course, you can join us on social media at Twilight Zone GSM on Twitter and facebook.com slash groups slash Twilight Zone GSM. We are more active on the Zuckerberg platform. Robert. What is yes, on sir. the agenda for next month? Yeah, let's let's think about this because you really kind of inspired me to think about Burgess Meredith. Um, season two, episode 19, mm-hmm. Mr. Dingle the Strong. Yeah, that's right. I said we had one left to do, but that was not the case. We definitely have not done Mr. Dingle yet. Yeah. And what you just talked about, season four, episode nine, The Printer's Devil. Oh, good. Okay. I love his episodes so much. We talked earlier about the 1960s Batman, and he's just, he's my ping mm-hmm. one. You know, I have a pop, a Funko Pop figurine of that Batman and that Penguin. And I actually, I don't have one of the Mad Hatter from that era, but I do have um, uh, King Tut, which was, I just loved that character and that character's costume in the 1960s Batman so I don't even have Cesar Romero's Joker. I, I I do like that Joker very very much, but I don't have that Funko Pop. Um, I'm pretty I'm running out of space, and so I've I chose only one Joker, and that was Jack Nicholson's Joker. That's that's the Joker Funko Pop I have. But I love Cesar understanding. Romero's, but understanding, yeah. I liked uh, I did actually like Danny DeVito's Penguin quite oh, a bit. Yes. I think it was very, very good. And Burgess is the the gold standard um, for that. But um, not a huge fan, and we'll you know see why. Not a huge fan of Dingle the Strong. 
Um, oh, really? There, 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 there are some parts in it that I think are um, really good. Yeah. And and I think actually the the thing that I don't like about it so much is a is a a joker that we know of okay. in another light. Okay. Uh, a comedian, if you will, mm-hmm. who um, plays uh, kind of a tough guy in there. Okay. And I think that's actually what caused me not to like it so much. But I have not seen Printer's Devil, so I'm gonna I'm thrilled to watch that. Yeah, they're they're both really good episodes. Um, uh, I won't say too much about Printer's Devil. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to to talking about cool. these with you next month. You've chosen a couple mm-hmm. of great ones, and that'll be a whole lot of fun. Once again, Twilight Zone GSM on Facebook and Twitter, uh, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback if you want to leave us your thoughts, favorite moments, memories of these episodes. We would love to hear from you. We'll be recording that. We record the last week of each month. So you have until, you know, around Thanksgiving to uh, get us in your feedback for that episode. We love to hear from you. And that's going to bring us to the end. Robert, we've done it again. <laughs> Took a perfectly good hour and a half of, of our time out of the, out of the evening. <laughs> that's right. And this is what, this is what the result is. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, as a sign-off, I guess uh, I'm just going to take my little staff of truth and wish you the best. What about you? Well, thank you, thank you. I, I've, you know, we can't really zoom in, but I have my Monty Python character over there that I'm pointing to in the back. Yes, That's the, uh, the, the sweet the patsy. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, it, if he had a staff of truth, I think that would actually be a good um, device in Monty Python, and it would have to be the tiny stick. Yes, <laughs> instead of the big one. No doubt. Sir, why? Why? Why is it so small? Never mind. Go away. Go away. <laughs> All right, man. There was much rejoicing. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. It has been said with a degree of assurance that not everything that meets the eye is as it appears. Join us again next week as we explore this irony and take a detour into the fifth dimension to enjoy a brief stay into the Twilight Zone.